Well, good morning, North Church. How are you doing? Really? Kind of mild. Okay, I get it. I do. I don't know about you. I can't hear that passage of scripture being read and not hear the voice of Linus from Charlie Brown in my brain. And I confess that for most of my childhood, I actually believed that the next verse in the book of Luke was, that's the true meaning of Christmas, Charlie Brown. It's a little, a little embarrassing when I found out that wasn't really the case. Hey, I've been thinking, as we're kind of winding our way towards Christmas and kind of the year is winding down, I've been reflecting in my mind and heart a little bit about the incredible things that take place in this church over the course of a year. The lives that are changed, people coming to faith, people being baptized, families being brought together, kids being discipled. Um, and that's all the stuff that happens on the inside. And I think about all the incredible impacts that those transformations on the inside of our church make out in the city that we love so much here in Spokane. People being fed and, and being loved and cared for in all kinds of super practical ways. And um, I'm moved and a little bit humbled by the way that it takes place because the way it takes place is hundreds of volunteers every week participating, feeling um, really connected to who God is and what he's doing here and, and through here out in the world, saying, I want to be a part of that. So volunteering downstairs, uh, serving in kids' ministry, up here on the tech teams and the different stuff. And, uh, and the same thing is true in the finances of the church as well. We're going to receive our tithes and offerings here in just a moment. But uh, before the ushers come, I simply wanted to say, whether, you're, uh, whether you contribute regularly in serving and participating, whether your contribution is financial, whether your contribution is in investing in the lives of other people around you, I want to say thank you. Uh, with a heart of real gratitude because God is doing great things through that. And as we come to this time of tithes and offerings, it's, it's the place where we say, I want to be a part of that. I want to make a contribution towards what's taking place, and I want to invest all parts of my life in giving towards the kingdom of God. So that's the heart that we bring as we come to the tithes and offerings. Uh, ushers, why don't you come on forward, and they'll begin to receive that. And while they're doing that, um, I kind of want to recap where we are in our Advent series uh, to this point. The kind of the theme of our uh, heart of Christmas series is that throughout the various Christmas pieces of the Christmas story we're used to, there's, there's a lot of yes being said. People being given opportunities to say yes. We talked about uh, Mary in week one, and her yes was a yes of availability to be used by God, however it is that he saw fit, right? And then last week we talked about this yes that existed in the heart of Jesus. Even before he came down as the baby in the manger, he existed as the second person in the divine trinity, right? He was God in, he was God in heaven, and he willingly said, yes, I'll lay that aside so I can be made human and come down to earth uh, so that I can redeem humanity as well. And that's a great yes as well. And along the way, we're wanting to learn what are the yeses that God's calling us to say in response to those stories. And, uh, and today we're going to talk about that with the narrative that uh, Elaine just read about with the shepherds. Um, it's uh, like a lot of the Christmas stories, a lot of them are fairly familiar, right? If you've spent any time growing up in the church or been around even just Christmas Eve services over the years or anything like that, a lot of times we know the Christmas stories and they're very warm, they're very familiar. Um, there can sometimes be like the sentimental attachment to them because they're a part of this sentimental season of Christmas that we love so much. All those things are true. I'm hoping that today in particular that we're ready to maybe hear God speak to our hearts in a way that's a little less just warm and fuzzy and sentimental 
and maybe open our minds and our hearts as well to the fact that God might be speaking to us a word of challenge and asking us to step forward in some areas that might even be difficult that way. Um, and if we're ready to do that, I think we will hear uh, God's call to us as well. So here are these shepherds, these regular guys out in the fields just doing their job, right? It, I mean, Christmas hadn't happened yet, so it's not like there'd been this whole month of people shopping for gifts and stringing up lights and things like that. They're, it's just another night on the job for them. And they're out with the sheep doing their thing, and then all of a sudden, boom, there he is, the, the angel of the Lord. They're speaking to them telling them great news, fantastic news, uh, news about this thing that's been promised for hundreds and hundreds of years, and it's taking place right in front of them. And then, and then this invitation that you can be a part of it, and you can celebrate that, and you can, uh, you can actually go and see this thing taking place. And then as if the angel of the Lord speaking to you and declaring the glories of God isn't enough, all of a sudden the place is filled with, the, with an entire company of, of angels. And, and the, this part of the passage closes with his great description where it says that suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, in the highest heaven and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. What a great moment. What a great um, experience. What an incredible encounter these shepherds had. And I want to take a little time this morning just unpacking their experience and their encounter because what I see when I look at that passage and the rest of the narrative as it moves forward is I see this pattern, this way that God interacted with these shepherds, the way that he encountered them and drew them in and, and sent them on. I, I see a pattern in the way he went about his business in this narrative that I think is relevant for you and for me in the narrative of our lives as well. I want us to do more than maybe just remember the story of the shepherds. I want to ask that important question, what is it in that story that challenges the way that I live and that I encounter God and that I respond to him as well? Here's, here's kind of the general pattern that I see as I'm looking at this story of these shepherds. I see, first of all, that God is recruiting ordinary people, just regular people. We might tend to think that God would make this big announcement of the, of the coming of the Messiah through kind of the most um, auspicious means possible, that he would call as much attention as he could amongst kind of the upper crust and the people who matter and the folks at the top of the food chain. So maybe in, in that world, that would be through the religious leaders in Jerusalem or the rabbis in the synagogues and the towns, the teachers, the leaders, maybe the Pharisees. Just those who held kind of positions where they were known and regarded highly. But this was really not the case. Because if those folks were at the top of the food chain, shepherds were kind of down towards the bottom. You know how much, you know how much formal education was required to be a shepherd? Not a whole lot. And uh, it's not that it required no intelligence, it's just that the formal education piece of that wasn't such a big deal. It was a difficult job. It was a hard job. It was a job that took men away from their families at night. It was a job that, because of their interaction with the animals out in the fields, left them uh, ceremonially unclean and unable to participate in some of the rituals and celebrations of the community. These, um, because of that, these jobs uh, drew people who didn't, have, didn't come from extraordinary families, didn't come from extraordinary educations, didn't have extraordinary preparation. These were not the highly advantaged people that became shepherds. 
They were just everyday people. People going through and doing what it takes to get through the day, to get through the week, to get through the month, to provide for their families, and to live a life. These are very ordinary people. Ordinary in the way that you and I are ordinary. The vast majority of us in this room, room don't look at ourselves and say, gosh darn it, I'm something special. I have something complete, completely unique that nobody else could offer to give God. Most of us, if we're honest, we struggle a little more like with the question of what on earth do I have that God could use? I'm, I'm just an ordinary person, right? Well, these were ordinary people, and yet these are the ones that God is actively recruiting in this moment. In this central moment of this Christmas narrative, he's recruiting the most ordinary of people. There's something else here that I think is really important, too, as part of the pattern, and it's this. That these people that he recruits, these ordinary people, these shepherds, um, he encounters them, he brings them in, and he does so in order to say, hey, I want to reveal to you, I want to share with you, I want to let you know, I want to inform you about this other thing that I'm doing. For the shepherds, there's this incredible moment. The angel of the Lord appears to them. Then the whole heavenly host is singing and doing their thing. And it must have been fantastic, right? And then come to find out the point of this is not just this encounter. This whole encounter was something that God designed to say, hey, I've got your attention. And now that I have your attention, I want to tell you about this thing that's happening in the manger. I want to tell you about the fulfillment of my promises. This moment, this spectacular moment, is not the end point. It's not the main point. The main point is this other thing, the birth of Christ. I'm capturing your attention to tell you about something else. And then the next thing he does is he invites them to participate in that. Look, I've captured your attention with this spectacular show. I've told you about this thing that's going on, this other thing, and I'm inviting you. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to go. I want you to find that child. I want you to find that family. I want you to see with your own eyes what it is that I'm doing there. I want to invite you into that process. And then there's, and then there's the last thing he does. He gives them what I call incomplete instructions. They're told there's a baby in, in Bethlehem. Find it. Like, what, are, what if those are your instructions? Hey, somewhere in Spokane, there's a baby being born. Go find him. It'll be the one that's crying. Like, there's nothing there. I mean, the manger, okay, that narrows it down. But you know how many mangers there are in a city like Bethlehem? A lot. There's a lot, a lot of looking to do. There's a lot of work yet to be done. There's a lot to figure out about how are we going to go about and do this thing. The instructions were kind of incomplete. It would have been really easy to say, well, we don't really know how to do that, so, oh, never mind. And I think if we revisit each of the pieces of that pattern, we're going to find that they have something to say to us about the way God works with us as well, right? God recruits extraordinary people. You may or may not consider yourself extraordinary. God doesn't really care whether you are or not. He sees people and says, I want to use them. I want them to be a part of this. I want to capture their attention. I want to find a moment that stops them dead in their tracks 
whether their tracks are out on a hillside in the night watching sheep, whether their tracks are uh, in a cubicle during the day doing work, whether it's at home caring for kids, wherever those tracks are, I want to stop that ordinary, everyday, regular person, capture their attention, and recruit them in. I, I want you to do this for me. Would everyone just like take a deep breath in? Deep breath out. You're breathing. You are therefore a candidate to be recruited by God. <laughs> because God recruits ordinary people, just like you and just like me, to do his work. We have to be open for that. But when he captures our attention, when he draws us in, when he does that spectacular thing in our life that captures our attention, we have to remember that just like the shepherds, we're not the end game. That, that when he captures our attention, that moment when he captures our attention, that's not necessarily the point. There's this thing that he's calling us to beyond that. There's work that he has for us to do. The, the shep the, when the angels showed up and they sang and declared the glories of God, they didn't say, all right, well, we'll be back next Sunday. Let's do this again. They said, no, this has been great, but what this is about is so that you can get sent on to do this work and see this thing over in the manger in Bethlehem that way, right? I think um, I love being here on a Sunday morning. Um, I show up on a Sunday morning, and it almost doesn't matter what I feel like when the morning starts. By the, by the time I'm leaving, I, I feel lifted up. I feel encouraged. I feel strengthened. I feel equipped. Great stuff has happened. I've, I've connected with people. I've connected with God. I feel like there's a, a track to run on for my week forward. It's a great thing. People, when I get to talk to people all the time, and they share it in different ways. Some people will tell me, but the thing that really connects with me is this. Right? I really connect with the music, or I connect with the time of prayer, or the teaching from the word, or the fellowship with people, and that's what really fires me up and connects with me and, and helps me feel great at the end of a Sunday. Other people tell, tell me all the time, I don't know what it is. I don't have a clue. All I know is that I, I come in one way, and I, I meet with God, and I leave in an entirely other space in my mind, in my heart, and in my spirit. You may be able to identify what it is about Sunday mornings, or you may not know specifically what it is, but you know what I'm talking about when, when I say it makes a difference, and we all get to leave here better than when we came in, right? I love that. But just doing that 52 times a year is not the point. That's God capturing our attention and recruiting us in. It's just regular, ordinary, everyday people. But what he's saying is, hey, these times are great, but now there's something I want you to do. Shepherds had to go in search of the child. And the question is, what is it that in this moment God's calling you to? There's a lot of possibilities, right? It may be as simple as it's been a long time and you know that you've been attending this church for a while and you love Sundays, but it, it's, it's maybe time to get connected at a deeper level and be a little more intentional about growing in my faith and in your understanding of the faith and in your relationship with God. Maybe that means signing up for some Monday night equipped classes. Maybe it means taking you and your spouse and going through our rooted program together. Um, it could mean any of those things, I suppose. It may, be, it may be that there's a relationship in your life that you know is just, it's broken, it's not right. And it's not really a matter of whether it's your fault or their fault or whose fault. It's just not right. 
and you've had this niggling little thing in the back of your mind that's now coming to the front, and you hear the heart of God saying, make that right. Humble yourself before that person. Ask them for forgiveness. Extend forgiveness to them. It'll be difficult. It'll be awkward, but this is what I'm calling you to do. And maybe that's that next thing. Maybe there are particular uh, patterns of behavior, habits, things that you know. These are not healthy. These are not drawing me closer to God. They're actually destroying God's work in my life. And it's not just that God and his people disapprove of them. It's that they're harmful and you know it. And it's just time to get some help on that. It's time to lay those things down and make a change. Maybe, maybe it's, as, it's you've known for a long time. I really want, I kind of want to get my devotional life together. I want to figure out how to read my Bible regularly and, and spend time with the Lord uh, in prayer with him on a daily basis. And maybe you've just been putting that off and now you're at this spot, well, you know, all the Bible reading plans start in January. I couldn't possibly start one now. It's December, for heaven's sake, right? <laughs> whatever that step is for you, whatever that thing is, when, when you encounter God like we do on a Sunday morning, it's a good thing. But don't mistake that for the work that God's doing. There's a work that God wants to do in you and through you in, in bringing redemption and health and wholeness into your life and then through your life, redemption, health, and wholeness into the lives of others, there's something he wants to do, and it can be very specific. What is that thing? Can you put your finger on it? Can you identify it? Do you know what it is? This morning, God is calling you to not just enjoy what it is that we share on a Sunday, but to move forward on the whole reason that these Sundays exist. See, God invites us to participate in that. God's not just a God who does stuff to us. God's a God who invites us to participate and be a part of what it is that he's doing. Part of the love and the grace and the care that he wants to show this world is the love and the grace and the care that only you provide. I was so uh, humbled yesterday afternoon to be with a group of folks uh, who went down to the uh, crisis shelter for women uh, through Union Gospel Mission and were just there sharing some Christmas love and care and grace with some people who had some desperate need. Ordinary people, regular, everyday, fantastic, wonderful, loving people who said that what God does in me when I connect with him doesn't end with me. That God loves me and cares for me and, and pours out his spirit upon me, not just so that I feel better, but that, so I can be a conduit of all of that to others and then living them out. They, those people were invited in to what God was doing in the lives of those in need, and it was powerful. And that happens all over the place in this church. It's a part of who we are. It's a part of how God moves in and through us that way. And then this bit where God just kind of gives us incomplete instructions. So maybe you know, yeah, I, I gotta do something about that habit. It's controlling me. It's an addiction. You're going to have to figure out what to do. Maybe what God's put on your heart is that relationship that needs to be mended. You're going to have to do some work to figure out how that takes place. Because God doesn't just say, take this step, take this step, take this step, do this, 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 and then it will all be done. It doesn't work. I'd love it if it were that way. In fact, a lot of us say, hey, God, the minute you give me every step all along the way directly leading to a successful conclu conclusion, that's when I'm on board. 
right? And we, we kind of tell God, I'm just going to wait until you give me all that and then I'll go. But his instructions are often incomplete and what we would call inadequate. Like if you've ever tried to get instructions from Ikea on anything, that, right? You know what I'm talking about. A lot of those um, objections that you and I put up, the excuses we make for why we're not doing that thing that God has called us to do, they're because we're really not quite ready to move ahead. They're, they're really just that, excuses. God gives us incomplete instructions and asks us to move ahead in faith. I was thinking about this. Um, actually, I'll wait on that till later. There's, sorry. You'd love living in my brain. It's an amazing place. <laughs> Distracting, but amazing. Hey, um, there's this moment, going back to the shepherds, there's this moment where like the angels come out and they sing, and there's been this incredible moment and light show and the whole thing, and then it's over. And there's this kind of, well, now what? Luke records it at that point in the narrative. He says this. He says that when the angels had left them, the shepherds, and gone into heaven, there's that moment. And the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem. Let's go to Bethlehem, see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. There's this awkward, what, what are we going to do about it moment, followed by their phrase, let's go. Let's go check this out. I love that response. And it may be for you that even this morning, you're kind of right in that awkward in-between moment of, man, God has been putting his finger on something that I know it's a part of what I'm supposed to be doing. And now what am I going to do about it? Am I going to let it just hang there? kind of a brief momentary experience that maybe I can look back on later, or I'm actually going to respond. What we learn from the shepherds is awesome because their response has a number of features that ought to be a part of our response to God's call in our life as well. And the first one of this, it's, it's affirmative. When God says, I want you to do this, go find the baby, they say, yes, let's go. Yes, let's go. The, the second one is, it was enthusiastic. Enthusiastic. That is, like, as you read that passage, you don't get the sense that they're going, oh, I guess we got to go see a baby. <laughs> no, they're kind of fired up. Like, there's already a donkey at the manger. They don't need another Eeyore, right? <laughs> so so they're in, it's not just, yes, I'll, I guess I'll do it, but it's, yes, let's go do this. I'm excited about what God has called me to do. It's affirmative, it's enthusiastic, and it's also immediate. It says that they hurried to, the, to go find Jesus. They didn't put it off. They didn't delay. They didn't wait till later. And they didn't make excuses, right? They didn't. It said God gave them an instruction and they hurried off to do it right away. That's got to be us. Like if there's a lesson to be gleaned here, it's that when God touches that area of our life and says, look, I don't want to just come here and capture your attention. I want you to go be a part of something that I'm doing that our response has got to be yes, and let's do it now. Let's hurry towards it rather than run away from it. And then the response was active. At the end of the day, they did whatever it took to go find that baby. 
the details of that are not, are not in the text that we have, right? The details of that are not included in the Bible. But one way or another, they found a single baby in the village of Bethlehem, and they got that taken care of, which is pretty cool. But that took some doing on their part, right? They had to figure it out. Why were they willing to actively do all the work it took to leave their sheep in the fields and go through the town and figure out where the baby was and find him? Why were they willing to do that? Because they were motivated by their encounter with God. They desired to please him, and that motivation uh, to please God led them to the hard work of investigation to figure out how's this going to happen. It, it's the motivation to please God which will compel us past our fears and uncertainties to figuring out what the next steps are that we need to do. A while back, um, the ice maker in our refrigerator just died. It didn't like slowly wind down, it just flat out stopped. And I know, like I'm the least mechanical person that you know. All right, I am a, I'm a mechanical problem waiting to happen. <laughs> but I was motivated. I was motivated not to buy an entirely new refrigerator for the sake of some ice. And because I was motivated, I went ahead and hopped on Google. Through Google, found my way to YouTube. Through YouTube, found my way to some stuff. And you know, boom, Yahtzee. I've got myself an ice maker that works now. How about that? <laughs> Believe me, the process of figuring out how to fix something and then going and doing it without electrocuting myself or something like that, <laughs> it's intimidating. But there was a motivation that overcame the intimidation. Can I ask you what's intimidating you about moving forward on this place in your life that God is touching and saying, this is what I want to do? What's intimidating about that for you? Is it the uncertainty? Is it the not knowing how? Is it the not being sure how to go about it? Is it maybe feeling that there's a possibility it won't work out? Those are all very intimidating things. And to the extent that we keep our eyes on the intimidation, we lose track of the motivation. And if you're fighting the intimidation that comes with stepping directly into what God's calling you to do and to addressing the things in your life he's asking you to address, I'm asking you this morning to take your eyes off of the intimidation and go back to the motivation. Does the desire to please God and accomplish in your life and through your life into the lives of others, does that motivation draw you into stepping through the difficulty of intimidation? It can, and when, it, and when that happens, it's amazing. But what I wanna do this morning, just in the couple minutes I have, is to really highlight this fact. Many of us, myself included, were just so quick with the excuses. The uncertainty, the difficulty, the intimidation, I look at those things and I say, it's too much to overcome, I just can't. And I wanna be abundantly clear in this moment about this point. At whatever moment we say that because of the intimidation and the difficulty, I can't, what we're really saying to the God who would motivate us is I won't. And it doesn't feel like I don't because I'm looking at I can't. But if we understand that in most cases the I can't is essentially an I won't, that breaks my heart about myself. 
it breaks my heart for people that God has recruited and empowered and activated. And he's got vision and purpose and direction and, and redemptive things that he wants to work. And the only thing that's standing in the way of all that is a yes, I will that hasn't been said yet. The narrative with the shepherds goes on to say that after they'd seen Jesus, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child, and that all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. See, the shepherds understood real clearly that what this great thing that God did to capture my attention and then sent me to do is not the end of it. That a part of what God's doing is also using me to tell my story. We have no idea how much of what was going on that the shepherds really understood, right? They weren't necessarily theologians. They probably weren't wandering through the streets of Bethlehem going, hey, you know, there's this prophecy that says this should be the Messiah in this city. I doubt they were having deeply philosophical conversations along the way. What they knew is that they'd seen angels. And the angels directed them to a baby that the angels said was the Son of God. And then they went and they found that baby and it seemed to be the case. And so they told people about it. You may not feel like you really understand the comprehensive story of what God's doing in your life. You may not feel like you have great comprehension and understanding and wisdom and insight about how God is at work. But do you know what you do have? A very keen awareness that God is at work in your life in one way or another. And God has never intended for you to keep that to yourself. One of the great parts about the rooted journey that so many have taken and continue to take here at the North Church is there's a piece of that which really helps us to reflect on the story that we've lived at this point and the way God has become the hero of that story and how we can then share that story with others. It's very empowering. And it's right in line with how God calls us to work. That he's not just doing a work in us, but there's some sharing of that work that he wants us to be a part of as well. I think, like, super obvious application here. You walked in, there's an invite card. that It's on the chair where you're sitting, right? That's not for you. I mean, we do want you to remember that there are Christmas Eve services, and it'd probably be a good idea to know when they are. But the purpose of that card is to motivate you and equip you to invite others. To say, hey, here... Here's a part of what my life looks like. It's about celebrating Christmas and the birth of Christ this way. Would you join me in that? And to have a resource to do that. I'm really encouraging every one of us to make sure that the invitations are out there. Who but knows that that could be the way that the chance to share our story of how this Christmas story has become important to us has taken place. But that needs to take place. The, the end of this passage I just love. It talks about this. It says that the shepherds actually returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had seen, which were just as they had been told. It says that this whole thing that started with angels singing of the glory of God, right? It, it started with that, and then it starts with the glory of God. Then there's this response in the heart of the disciples that's yes. And then there's this obedience that they walk out, right? And that they do. And then after that's done, they tell people about what's taken place along the way. And then they come full circle back to the beginning, which is they're glorifying God. And can I tell you, that, it, that cycle, that movement from spending time glorifying God and worshiping and hearing from him what to do 
responding with a yes in the heart, walking that out in obedience, seeing the results, sharing that with other people, and returning back to glorifying God, that makes like the perfect picture about what every week can be, right? That, that, we, that we start a week in worship, and this, is in the, and this is a place where we hear God challenge us about the next step of obedience, and that throughout the week, we're living that out, and we're saying yes to the Lord, and we're walking it out in obedience, and then as we see the results of that, we get to share that story with other people, and, and along with the blessing of that, it propels us back to a place where we're glorifying God again. Can I just suggest, that's like a perpetual motion machine. It, it can keep going and never stop. If you feel stagnated or stuck in your relationship with God and just not growing, can I suggest somewhere along the way you're, you've missed a step and you can climb right back on? It has been an amazing year at North Church. Um, I think our church embodies this sense of a yes to God that gets lived out in very practical ways. And I love what I see in the life of the church doing that. And then, I mean, at the same time that I get to say, we've seen it so much across the years, I, I look ahead and I go, I am so excited about where God is taking us. But where God is taking us requires not just us, but individuals continuing to say yes. And so I want to close by just challenging you. What's the next yes? What's that thing? God's got your attention. You may be ordinary, but God has recruited you. And it's not just to give you a great moment every now and again, but there's something to be saying, hey, I want to tell you that I'm doing this in your life. I invite you to participate in that. What is that? And will you say yes? Will you break through the paper walls or whatever resistances exist and say, yes, I will? Heavenly Father, today, many of us right now have this sense of, God, I, there's a yes in my heart that I just, I need to put it out there. So God, together we do say yes to you. God, would you help us to celebrate the places where we've seen you at work? And then, God, at the same time, would you point out for us what those next things are? God, they might be frightening, they might be uncertain, and they may be intimidating. But, God, we turn back to you and say, Lord, would you awaken afresh and anew within us a motivation to please you, which drives us on through the barriers of intimidation. And as we do that, God, Lord, we look forward to seeing the great things that you accomplish in our lives and in our community here. But, Lord, would you use us to be these powerful agents for change, these powerful ministers of your love and grace to the people in our city and in our town who are in desperate need of that. In Jesus' name, amen.